Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. On today's episode, we're going to go off the beaten path slightly, you might say, to discuss a topic that has relevance well beyond waterfowl science and conservation. Our conversation today is going to revolve around the fundamental question of what's the deal with birds? Well, uh, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. Really, the most important part of the conversation today is going to deal with something called predatory journals, what they are and why it's important that we all be aware of them. To help us with this conversation, I'm joined on the phone by Dr. Dan Baldessari, Assistant Professor of Zoology, State University of New York, Oswego. Dan, welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. Thank you for having me. Very happy to be here. Before we get into the topic, I want to give you an opportunity to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you are, where you are, and what kind of work uh, you specialize in. Yeah, so I am a second year assistant professor up here in upstate New York. I'm at uh, one of the SUNY universities here up in Oswego, and I study birds. I've been studying birds for most of my adult life, and I typically study bird behavior. Uh, I've done a little bit of work with waterfowl back in the day. I worked on Brant up in the YK Delta in Alaska, which was a phenomenal experience, but I uh, took a little bit of a diversion from there, and now I work mostly on uh, songbirds and you know questions about mating systems and the evolution of communication in birds. Uh, so those are the sort of things that I uh, tend to work with now. I, I spend most of my time research-wise now actually working on northern cardinals uh, with a bunch of undergrad students up here in central New York. We can't go very far into this conversation without acknowledging your connection to uh, to the waterfowl world. Uh, students of waterfowl conservation and waterfowl ecology will recognize your last name, Baldessari. And in fact, your dad was Guy Baldessari. Uh, he is very well known in the ornithological field in general, but certainly within the waterfowl uh, arena, there are numerous professionals within within the waterfowl community, whether it be academia, conservation, um, or, or some any state agency that have a connection back uh, to your dad. Uh, and matter of fact, Ducks Unlimited's chief scientist, Dr. Tom Mormon, uh, is a former student uh, of Dr. Guy Baldessari. And so uh, if, if people are listening and they recognize that last name, there is, there is, it's not coincidence. You know, your, your dad, one of, uh, one of his uh, final and, and most lasting, you know, legacies in this field was the rewrite of Frank Bellrose's uh, Ducks, Geese, and Swans of, of North America. So just wanted to make sure people realize that you, you do have a connection to, to the waterfowl world. And um, just, you know, that was a, that's a great contributions that your dad made to this, to this field. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very proud of my, my waterfowl heritage. You know, as, as I said, I never got uh, too far down the road of waterfowl research, but you know, I, I was uh, blessed to have all those connections and get to know a lot of people in the waterfowl world. And 
And yeah, anybody uh, who is remotely interested in learning more about the, the science of waterfowl, get your hands on that, uh, that beautiful ducks, geese and swans in North America uh, volume. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the works my dad was uh, definitely most proud of for sure. Yeah, well, he did a great job of it. Dan, your name, uh, we'll shift here to the topic of our of our podcast episode. Your name and a publication of yours has been in in the media, social media and broader media, media quite frankly, a fair bit here lately. And it's around this topic of predatory journals. But it's uh, your you know when we normally think about a researcher's name and a publication of theirs being uh, receiving some notoriety, receiving a lot, of, a lot of publicity in the media, it's usually because there's some grand discovery or some significant finding that's been made by that research. But that's, that's not necessarily the case uh, in, in this particular instance. In some way it is. But, um, but what I'll try to set up this story here. You know, I, I began following you on social media on, on Twitter a couple of months ago. And somewhere along the lines, I noticed a, a post of yours and it was it went along. It was uh, you noted that you had been receiving a lot of requests from this, quote, predatory predatory journal here lately. And so you said, well, I decided to submit a manuscript and we'll see how it goes. So then you, you were able to allow your Twitter followers to to follow this saga between you and this predatory journal as you submitted a manuscript to kind of see what they would do. So before we get into this, I'm going to let you sort of tell the story of how this, how this came about, but let's start off. We got a little, a little bit of groundwork on what are predatory journals in general. So uh, let's start there. Tell us, tell our listeners what those are. Yeah. So predatory journals are basically money-making scams that target the scientific community. So, you know, as opposed to legitimate scientific journals where you submit a manuscript and they undergo a very thorough process of peer review and are very often rejected. Um, and maybe if you're lucky and your research meets these very high uh, criteria as decided by your scientific peers, your paper will be published. Uh, by one of these journals and, you know, able to be accessed by other scientists and by the public. And that's how you get your, you know, scientific findings out to the world at large. What these predatory journals do is actually actively seek out scientists, often in very aggressive and relentless manners. And it's typically through, you know, just blasts of spam emails. So anybody listening to this who has any sort of scientific communication will be familiar with the concept of their email inboxes just filling up with these, uh, these spam emails. And so that's one of the red flags to these predatory journals is that as opposed to a, a real legitimate journal where you need to decide as the researcher where you want to try and submit your work and you need to seek that journal out and, you know, sort of try and meet their approval and their, uh, you know, their, their peer review, these predatory um, outfits actively seek people out and they often have this very strange sort of flowery praise in their emails of, you know, along the lines of, oh, uh, it's come to our attention that you are a very eminent and prestigious researcher in your field. And we would be delighted if you would, 
you know, add your contributions to our journal. And what happens is that you submit some, you know, manuscript to one of these predatory journals and there's a wide spectrum of things that can happen. But in general, these manuscripts that you submit are not subject to any sort of peer review. Um, these are not legitimate scientific um, outfits that have, you know, editors and reviewers that are, you know, familiar with the, the research and are actually looking at these submissions. Instead, they'll take almost anything and quote unquote publish it for a fee, right? So it's a money making uh, enterprise where often very late in the process and through some sort of subterfuge and, you know, hidden sort of ambiguous language, they will spring upon you, oh, we will publish your manuscript, but for a couple thousand dollars. Um, and if you're unwitting enough uh, to, to go along with the scam and, and fork over the money, maybe if you're lucky, they will, quote unquote, publish your, your paper on some sort of um, website. But again, these, you know, these are not actual you know, peer-reviewed journals, and it's very unlikely that you know, any reputable scientists are going to come across this uh, work and sort of... Um, give it this, you know, the same sort of legitimacy and attention that it would give if it went to a, a regular journal. So there, you know, it's a it's a pretty familiar sort of um, architecture to the scam, um, but it's it's sort of a niche thing in that it's really only targeted at you know scientists who are you know in the realm of of publishing. So a lot of people outside of that world, you know, aren't even really familiar with the existence of this kind of scam. You've mentioned peer review process a couple of times here, and I want to make sure that we emphasize the importance of that. That's sort of the the cornerstone for uh, for for what it's the cornerstone for reliable scientific information that is that that is out there that we hope is out there. And so, just give our listeners a thumbnail sketch of that peer review process and how it works. Who are the peers that do the reviewing? I know you and I are, are have participated in this on both sides as both author and reviewer, but what's the significance of that peer review process? Yeah, it's it's really is a um a sort of very basic but really powerful framework for how we understand, you know, how to trust scientific results and, and um, things that end up being communicated to the wider world that come from research. And, you know, as opposed to, you know, some uh, shadowy board of, you know, experts that, you know, review everything in the world of science, um, what the scientific community has decided is that we sort of democratize that process. And, your peers, literally the, you know, your colleagues and the people with whom you are doing research, you know, out there in the world are the people that get sought out by the editors of these publications to look over your work, determine whether it meets, you know, the, the certain standards of, you know, rigor of, of science, whether you're, you know, really adding new and important knowledge to the field and they are the ones who, you know, get the final say of, um, okay, this, this is reputable information. This was collected in an ethical and scientifically sound way. 
and we are going to let it get past this this gate, you know, this check of peer review and let it get out to the wider world. So when Joe Public is opening up National Geographic and reads, you know, some article about a scientific finding, he can know that it has passed some sort of filter of uh, peer review um, that lends some some credibility to it. So it's really how we know what to trust in terms of you know scientific results that get out into the you know the broader community. Yeah. yeah. This this entire the enterprise, the uh, scientific enterprise, is is about reliable information, information that's that's um, that we can have confidence as you as you've described described is collected and analyzed responsibly and rigorously, so that we know the information upon which we're we're making decisions is worth those kind of decisions. So, um, it's 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 not an easy process. Uh, certainly, as you and I have gone through it, it. Um, it is. It does take time, and and that's one of the beauties of it is that yes, you are being. It's like this system of of interdependent accountability. You're holding your scientific peers to account, you know, for their rigor, and then they in turn hold you uh, to account uh, as you've described. And so, uh, there are all sorts of of journals that are available within which scientists publish their their research, and we'll get uh, a little bit later on to. A discussion of how do you know which journals are are, are predatory uh, and which journals are not. But the, the, one of the key messages here is these predatory journals uh, sidestep that critical review process. So a lot of the information that that appears in these predatory journals is uh, well, it's kind of suspect in some respect, or in in worst cases, it's it's outright fabricated or or, or false. And so that's what kind of brings us here to your uh, your um, your little adventure with this journal. Uh, you wanted to, I think it's fair to say, see how far you could get with this and see how uh, how much they would allow you as a submitting author to get away with and kind of expose them. And so you penned this manuscript titled, What's the Deal with Birds? And I have to read the abstract here just to kind of, <laughs> to kind of set up the, the hilarity of the situation. Uh, so here's your, your abstract. It's just, Many people wonder, what's the deal with birds? This is a common query. Birds are pretty weird. I mean, they have feathers, WTF. Most other animals don't have feathers. To investigate this this issue, I looked at some birds. I looked at a woodpecker, a parrot, and a penguin. They were all pretty weird. In conclusion, we may never know the deal with birds, but further study is warranted. Of course, the final sentence there is great because so many scientific studies end up answering a portion of the question, but it it reveals as many questions you know, on the outcome as as we had going in, if not more. So, so anyway, that was the the abstract that you submitted with this, and again, just emphasizes the hilarity of the manuscript that you submitted. But kind of walk us through what led you to want to do this, and and how you went about it. Yeah. So you know, as you say, the you know one of the motivations of this this project was to sort of see what I could get away with. Uh, submitting to one of these predatory journals. And so I thought, um, you know, to me, one of the most sort of entertaining ways to try and do that would be to compose a just ridiculously you know, satirical and, and nonsensical uh, manuscript. And I thought, you know, that would also sort of make it more fun for people on social media to, to follow along. 
But the, you know, the point embedded within that is that what I was submitting to this, to this journal was, um, completely devoid of any scientific merit or any kind of rigor or any meaning at all. Um, and so if you submit something remotely close to that level of nonsense to a real journal, it will be detected and rejected immediately. Um, and in contrast, if these predatory journals really are these scams, as I've described them, uh, that are not interested in the content of the, the scholarship and just want to try and bilk money out of potential authors, they will be much more likely to, you know, just, uh, uh, accept complete nonsense. And so that is sort of how this saga ended up playing out was that this, this predatory journal was completely, um, thrilled and happy to accept this, my, my magnum opus here, uh, what's the deal with birds and, um, you know, try and extract some money out of me for it. And so they had a little bit of a back and forth and uh, negotiations with the, the quote unquote editor of this uh, publication. And they originally, you know, asked for something along the lines of $1,700 uh, to publish this manuscript, which I wasn't willing to, to fork over just for the sake of this uh, experiment. And uh, ended up through negotiations, uh, convincing the, this editor to actually go ahead and, you know, format this paper in, in a really nice, beautiful, you know, um, paragraph form with headers and everything that looks very nice and, you know, official. So to, to, you know, the first glance, it looks like a completely legitimate scientific article and they accepted it and they published it on their fancy looking website that again, at first glance sort of looks like, you know, a website that you would see from any other uh, reputable journal. And they uh, actually published this, this paper without uh, managing to extract any money from me. But I think uh, my, my assumption is that I'm now on their short list of, you know, uh, scientists to continue to, you know, harass and, uh, and harangue, because now that they've, you know, published a paper from me for free, maybe they think I'll be more likely to come back to them and try and submit something else and they can uh, extract some money from me. So that's, that's sort of how the, the process played out um, in short form. To your point here, Dan, it, I have a copy of the manuscript in my hand and it looks, looks professional, looks really well done. The formatting is, is great. It has a, uh, a DOI number, you know, a copyright uh, indication and uh, it has a table, has a wonderful table where one of the columns has a WTF score. I, I love that one uh, <laughs> in particular for each of the each of the uh, the variables that you that you supposedly measured. Uh, it has a wonderful figure uh, of a you know showing three species of birds that that are positioned along this axis, which relates to the deal in terms of you know what's the deal with birds and and particularly you know, on the far left axis looks like a fish. Of course, you have the penguin representing that fish and then the weird beak uh you have a parrot and a woodpecker so beautifully done figure there dan but again that just sort of contributed to um to the ridiculousness of what you were submitting and yet it got through this supposed professional you know scientific review process um 
You even made an acknowledgement to, I'm going to guess, one of your childhood heroes, uh, Big Bird. We thank Big Bird from Sesame Street for comments on the manuscript and several trained monkeys. That's right. (laughs) So great job in incorporating all those. There are other aspects of this that you incorporated to try to trigger some sort of review uh, that would uh, would trigger something in the review process that might get flagged and, and cause them to follow up or to reject the manuscript, one of which was straight out plagiarism of some previous work that you had published. A lot of times, as we've talked before, the, some of the journals will, will, uh, will run submissions through some sort of automated um, review process to see if or some indexing system to see if any language in the submitted manuscript is is extracted or is plagiarized from another publication that was the case in yours but they didn't catch that either so just totally bypassed any critical uh, peer review but otherwise as you say to an, someone that may not be as discriminating publications of this type in these journals now certainly not this one I, I think most people would realize this was uh, this this was a was sat complete satire but there are these things occur along a spectrum and so otherwise seemingly legitimate studies could appear and do appear in some of these predatory journals which brings us to kind of why this is well, why this is important why it's important to expose them number one we just we want people to be aware that in the internet age when there's so much information available at everyone's fingertip fingertips it's really important more more so now than ever to be a uh, to, to be a discriminating consumer of information to try to understand where that information is coming from and to be be your own critical, uh, be your own best critic of the information that you're consuming because presumably you're looking for that information to make some decision, whether it be about your health or or any other kind of financial decision. So just want people to be aware that there are these unscrupulous actors out there um, that we can all uh, fall victim to. You know, if, in your case or, or in the, the case of young, unsuspecting um researchers who feel this pressure to publish uh incidentally i love the hashtag that you incorporated on one of the first tweets which was hashtag publish or perish which is something that a lot of people may not realize is that yes professors and scientists uh, do do feel pressure to publish either for job security or promotion or just their reputation so there could be some uh some unwitting young um a researcher that may not know that the the journal they're publishing in is is of this predatory nature, and then we as consumers of that information can also um, fall victim to that. Yeah, it's it's right, and and that that's that's one of the things that fascinated me most about this experiment was, and one of the things I was most interested in trying to find out was sort of the the lengths to which a. Uh, predatory journal like this would go to appear legitimate. And this particular one, as you pointed out, really, you know, dotted the I's and crossed the T's to the extent that, you know, somebody who, you know, is not as familiar with um, just trying to discriminate among, you know, different publications and, and look for ones that are legitimate could very easily be duped. Uh, by a journal like this, they have a very flashy looking website. They formatted the the paper to look very legitimate. And so that that really muddies the water um, for those of us who are trying to consume you know reputable 
scientific research in terms of being able to figure out what we can trust and what we can't. We've talked about this paper a, a fair bit here, and so what I will do is tell tell our listeners that if you want to if you want to to view this article, read it. I, it's certainly worth your time for a, a bit of humor. Just go online, and I'm sure it will come up if you if you search for "What's the deal with birds?" Uh, it's it's worth a, a quick read. And you know, clearly, this uh, one of the things that I, I we have to do is make people realize that. You know, this this was a brilliant move by your part to kind of to to expose this, use something as outrageous as as what you composed here to illustrate this point. But I certainly want people to realize that when they read this this paper with your name attached to it, this is an outlier in terms of you know it's it's an extreme outlier. If you this was done del- deliberately on purpose, you are a very accomplished uh, scientist in your own right and have other publications in very respectable journals. So certainly, <laughs> did you have any? Were you were you worried at all about that of doing something like this and then having your name attached to it, or were you comfortable knowing that it was so ridiculous that any uh, that any you know person with with an ounce of reason in them would realize uh, what you were doing? Yeah, it, it you know it, it has been an interesting uh, experiment in that regard, you know, um, and it sort of depends on the audience, right? So you know, most of my academic colleagues. Um, are sort of already in the loop. They sort of get the joke from the jump because they're familiar with these predatory journals. Um, but you know, there, there, there is a, you know, the sort of risk of actually attaching my name to this completely nonsensical, you know, satirical publication that people don't totally get the joke. Um, but to me that that's sort of the point, right? I mean, that, you know, that, um, that sort of murky gray area where you don't know what to believe when you see, you know, a publication like this pop up, you know, in, in your internet browser, is this a joke? Is this real? You know, is this legitimate? Um, the various actors who are involved in this process, how much were they, you know, in the know, um, who's scamming who, you know, that, that's sort of the, um, one of the interesting things about this whole thing is that it, it, it's it's difficult to know um, who's on the up and up and who isn't with these um, these sort of predatory journals, and they take advantage of that. You know, the sort of muddiness and the sort of gray area. Um, so, so to a certain extent, I sort of you know by putting myself out there into that universe, I'm sort of at the whim of uh, of that kind of ambiguity. Um, but, you know, I, I've been happy to to see that the vast majority of people sort of get the joke uh, while also understanding that, you know, we're trying to uh, sort of shed light on on a legitimate problem uh, in science. So I, I think it's been effective to that to that extent. Dan, what's your best advice to people? We've talked a lot about the existence of predatory journals and the problem with them, but we've also acknowledged that in this day and time, People can go on on their phones. Heck, they don't even have to be sitting down at a at a you know a laptop. On their phone, they can search for information on on the topic du jour for them, and they will get information back. What advice do, can can you provide, especially when we start talking about you know um, searching for results from specific science from scientific journals? What kind of advice can you give people uh, in terms of knowing whether the 
the journal they're looking at or the article they're looking at is in fact reputable? Are there any places that list these predatory journals? Yeah, it's that's a great question, right? And that's that's in in many ways the most important question, right? Is how do we sniff these things out? How do we how do we know uh, what to trust and and what not to? And there are many people over the years who have who have made some really uh, admirable attempts to sort of catalog all these predatory journals. The problem is, as you might imagine, in the internet age and with all of the the motivations to try and make money on on various scams. It's it's almost impossible to keep track of it all. I mean, the the tentacles that are out there, you know, throughout cyberspace are just so vast um, that these journals are constantly, you know, changing their names and blinking in and out of existence. Um, so that's really difficult to do. What is easier to do is just to sort of look at these papers with a little bit, you know, of a sort of discriminating eye and look for things like. Um, you know, really obvious grammatical errors and typos and things like that. Oftentimes, you know, if you read the first couple sentences of some of these um, submissions, you'll be able to detect that that something is amiss um, for those sorts of reasons. The other thing is to pay attention to uh, the the source of the information, right? So, who sent you this particular article that you're looking at? Um, and, and does that person have any particular, you know, scientific knowledge or, or, or insight that would, you know, lend them some credibility or did you, you know, is it something that was forwarded to you on an email chain from your, you know, grandmother? Um, you know, that might be something you might want to, you know, pay a little bit closer attention to. And the other thing that can help is that reputable journals are often very obviously affiliated with, um, you know, scientific organizations or societies that you'll be familiar with, right? So, for example, in the bird world, um, the sort of gold standard journal for us um, is the AUK, right, which is affiliated with the American Ornithological Society. Um, and these sort of nebulous predatory journals don't have any of those connections, right? They're not connected to any sort of scientific societies, um, and they often have very sort of ambiguous, nonsensical names, right? The Journal of Scientific Research and Insight, you know, just off the top of my head that, you know, looks like something that you would sit down and type up if you were just trying to come up with a, a random quasi-scientific <laughs> sounding uh, journal name. So those are, you know, those are some of the things that you can try and uh, pay attention to. And like the the article or the journal title for where your article here is is the scientific journal of research and reviews. I mean that's that's beautiful. It sounds sounds completely legitimate and scientific, you know, to the nth degree, right? Can't get much more scientific than a scientific journal of research. Yeah, exactly. But but it also says you know nothing at the same time, right? <laughs> so it's <laughs> that's uh, right. That's right. Yeah, and you know the the last thing that I'll say is that you know um, along this this particular line is that you know often when the general public is you know getting access to scientific information, you know they're very rarely actually reading the journal article that, you know, describes the, the research, right? So we're much more likely to, you know, get our information from, you know, the, the Ducks Unlimited magazine or, or National Geographic or something, right? And those, you know, publications are, tr are trying to communicate, obviously, reputable scientific information. 
And they are, you know, those stories are written by journalists that get their information from these scientific publications. So one thing I always encourage people to do is when they read some interesting headline or some story in one of these popular, you know, science publications is to actually look for the journal article that the uh, the author uh, of the publication is referencing, and that will that will help you sort of get past the the initial potential confusion and actually see okay what is the you know what is the journal article off which this this you know piece of popular science is based, and even if you you know don't have the technical knowledge to really understand all the details of the journal article, you can at least go to the extent of seeing, okay, where was this published? You know, was it published in, um, you know, a a journal that sounds legitimate? Was it published in science or nature or the AUK? Or was it published in, in one of these, you know, questionable uh, other journals? And that can help you, you know, figure out what to, uh, what to sort of believe when you're, you know, reading your, your scientific magazines. Fortunately, as it relates to uh, Ducks Unlimited and our waterfowl management enterprise and, and natural resource management in general, certainly in North America, yeah, I don't – I've not seen very many instances of, of where these predatory journals will be will, – will be making significant inroads within our community. Most of the work that 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 I'm familiar with in the waterfowl arena and and other you know ornithological um, disciplines here in in North America, uh, ultimately gravitate to the more legitimate peer reviewed uh, peer reviewed journals and those um, the the publications that they that they put out. At least that's been my experience. Would you agree with that? I would agree. Yeah, I mean these are really. Um you know, exceptions and, and not the rule, right? I mean, the, the, the vast majority of things that you will read out there, especially if it's from a publication that you, you know, that you trust and has, you know, a big heritage to it. And sometimes these just outwardly nonsensical predatory journals really are sort of a dead end for information. It, it is sometimes difficult for them, as you say, to make inroads out into the sort of broader community. Um, but it it does happen, and especially with you know some of these uh, journals that are a little further along the spectrum to legitimacy, right? They may um, have a better chance of actually getting the these publications sort of out into the wider world. Um, so it is something that you know people should be aware of, and just you know uh, in in terms of the general the sort of broader question of, you know, just, just questioning and being skeptical where this scientific information comes from. But I do agree with you that, you know, just out complete outright nonsense uh, is not likely to end up in, you know, the pages of national geographic. Um, But, uh, but it is, you know, it's something we want to be aware of. Right. And so that would be, those would be the two key take homes for people here is that, uh, Make sure you're aware of this. There are unscrupulous actors out there that are trying to take advantage of our desire to publish scientific or quote scientific uh, uh, work, um, as well as our desire to kind of consume that scientific information. So just just be thoughtful, be critical of the information you're reading, um, and all the things that that Dan uh, has mentioned here. The other is that uh, hopefully we've. Uh, hopefully, you you have some 
faith and trust in Ducks Unlimited and other managers of our natural resources in North America and just in knowing that we are aware of, of, of this phenomenon and we we do our part to make sure the information that we're using and the decisions that we make and that we make and that our partners make uh, does not come from these predatory journals. So those would be two, two um, key take-homes for you. Uh, Dan, anything else that you would like to add? Yeah, I think um, you know the, the the sort of other uh, side of this coin is that you know the not only the people on the consuming end of the spectrum who are sort of reading uh, um, science and trying to determine if it's reputable need to be aware of this, um, but people who are producing the information, right? People like myself and and those who are in the research community. Um, you know, we also have to do our part, right? It's, it, it shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't just be up to, uh, Joe public at home, um, to, to have to sift through all this nonsense that's uh, out on the internet and determine what to trust, right? To some extent, you know, those of us who are producing the research, we have to take some personal responsibility as well, um, you know, to, uh, seek out these these unscrupulous uh, publications and and not you know uh, feed them any of the ammunition uh, that they use to to keep these scams going. So I, I think that's important to point out is that we have we have some responsibility as researchers as well to try and put a stop to this. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and and share with us your experience about this about the existence and your your exploits to expose at least one of these predatory journals and to do so in a very entertaining and comic way in the process. Um, We, uh, as you said, we learned a little about what the deal is with birds, but we may never understand it all, but hopefully we're at least a little bit smarter about the existence and the way that these predatory journals act. So Dan, thank you so much for joining us. You got it, Mike. Thanks a lot for having me. A special thanks to our guest on today's show, Dr. Dan Baldessari, Assistant Professor of Zoology from the State University of New York, Oswego. Uh, we, we appreciate him taking the time to share with us his experience, his humor, uh, and teaching us all about uh, some important information about a couple of topics. As always, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, for the great job that he does in getting these podcasts edited and out to you, our listeners. And to you, our listeners, we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks.